Hello and welcome to the Brooks Breakthrough Podcast. I am so happy to um, have you join us today. So this is episode one. I'm Ashley Brooks and I have um, been wanting to start this for years now and I'm so excited that I finally ripped the bandaid off um, and started this. And over the last few years as I've been thinking about what this podcast would look like, um, my, my goal is to to dive in and break through topics like finance, uh, business, entrepreneurship, leadership, real estate. Um, And so over the next few months, years, hopefully, um, we will be diving through topics with a variety of guests um, that will each pour into a few of those topics. Um, And as I've been preparing for this podcast um, over the last few years, I have thought, you know, there's no one else that I'd want my first guest to be other than Richie Cook, a friend of mine who also comes from the hospitality industry. Uh, Richie and I were actually uh, team members on, from at a hotel here in Houston. We were part of the opening team um, in downtown years ago. And there was one day when we went and had lunch at the JW downtown. And he shared his story with me. And I it, it left a massive, massive impact on me. And I've actually shared it with a number of people. Um, and so I, I brought him on today because I want him to get to share his stories of um, just he he experienced some really, really big heartaches at a young age um, and then literally almost overnight became a multimillionaire. And um, he's going to share his story of what it looked like to get that and 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 losing it all. Um, can you imagine uh, overnight getting millions of dollars and then um, losing it in just a matter of a year? So he's going to share this story. I hope that you were encouraged by it. I hope that um, you get some to have some amazing takeaways from it. Um, so without further ado, Richie, welcome. I'm so happy to have you here. Well, thank you for having me. I'm so excited to be the first guest. Congratulations on the new podcast. Thank you. Thank you. Yes. I feel yeah, honored. Very, very honored to be your first guest. Well, thank you. I appreciate that. No, I'm so excited. I, I can't tell you how many people I've shared your story with. Um, literally from randos who I'm meeting for the first time to friends to family. So um, I, I will just never forget like when you told me that story, um, I felt like I could hear a pin drop because I was like on the edge of my seat, like just waiting for the next word to come out of your mouth. So I'm excited for you to share today. Um, but so before we get into that though, share with our audience, um, where, where are you from? Where did you grow up? Give, give us a little bit of your, your backstory. Sure. Um, well, I was born and raised in Dallas, Texas. Um, and I lived there um, my entire life. I actually lived in the same house um, from the day I was brought home from the hospital to the day I graduated from college. Um, I'm an only I'm an only child, so um, and I was spoiled rotten. And I always say that I wasn't a brat, but I was definitely spoiled. Um, my parents were um, really big on kind of teaching me some of the life's lessons. And just because um, you know we may be able to um, to have nice things doesn't mean that they were um, that I was uh, owed to me. I guess so. Um, everything that I had, they wanted to make sure they were, they were really good at, you know, at giving me things, but they wanted to make sure that I never took that for granted. And I realized that that wasn't necessarily the norm and that not everybody, um, you know, had the nice things that we did or, or got to, you know, um, do some of the things that we did. So they were, um, they were real good on, um, real good about just kind of instilling like those values and those morals um, from an early age. Um, I can remember when I turned 16, um, I had to have, um, they were adamant that I started working. Um, and I, Basically, when I, you know, I worked after school for like two, three hours at Cookie Bouquet of all places. Um, and I think I made enough. Like, I mean, I hardly made anything, but it, was, it, wasn't, it wasn't about the money. Um, it was about um, me starting to work and learning that you kind of have to work for, um, you know, the things that you want. And, you know, life, um, unfortunately, costs money to do things and costs money to live. And so you've got you to figure out where, where that's coming from. So um, and just, you know, the value of, um, of working and what it you know, what it does to a person and what it, all the, all the things that you learn from working. So, you know, I've had all those kind of things um, instilled in me from a very young age. Um, I was always growing up. Um, I was always the creative kid. I was never really into sports or anything like that. Um, my dad was an engineer um, and he had the very analytical mind and I had the very artsy mind. And um, I have to give him credit because um, he just didn't, you know, there were times where I could just tell he just didn't get me like, and I didn't get him either. Um, just the way that we thought things through and the way that we approached different things were completely polar opposites. Um, but he always respected me and he always um, let me know that he was proud of me and he always let me do kind of things my way, even though it just seemed it was foreign to him. Um, so it's, it's kind of funny that um, we could be so opposite, but it, for, for some reason it, it really worked. Um, my parents had a great relationship. Um, my dad absolutely loved my mother, treated her like a queen um, and was um, very adamant that I did so um, myself. And so I remember um, when I turned 16, um, 
my dad looked at my mom and told her, you'll never, you'll never pump, um, put gas in your car again. And so every week that was my, on Sunday nights, every week I'd have to go and get mom's car and go fill it up with gas. So she was, um, um, you know, she was prepared for the week. So just little things like that, that were just important, just the way that we, um, you know, we showed love to her and, um, you know, so it was, it was really a great, great environment. Um, and actually, um, going through high school, I was really involved in the choir. I wasn't involved in sports, or, but I was choir, theater, art, anything creative um, I was involved in um, and had um, a really, really great childhood. I mean, it was really picture perfect. Um, and actually when it was time to go to school, to college, um, it was really difficult. Um, and it's kind of shocking um, where I, I chose to go to Texas Tech, um, and I, um, which is for about five and a half, six hours from Dallas, um, which surprised me because it, there was a, a lot of like, um, there was a big split. Like it was very hard for me to leave because my mom, I consider my mom and my dad really, but especially my mom, my best friend. And so um, it was really, really hard leaving. And as excited as I was, I was so worried about who was going to take care of them and, you know, what was going to happen to them and all that kind of good stuff and really wondering, should I really leave? And um, it was, it was a real kind of difficult. There's a, a, definitely a, um, a tug of war kind of going on in my heart. And so it's kind of funny now that I think about it, that I um, went probably to the furthest college that I could, but um, once I got to tech, I fell in love with it. And I knew that that was where I was supposed to be. So what did yeah, you, um, what year did you start in tech? Uh, 1996. Got it, 96. Okay, because yeah. my husband went to tech, but he started in 01. Um, oh, see, I graduated and, well, I'd already graduated because I graduated in December of 2000. So, got it, okay. Um, yeah, yeah no, he, we barely miss each other, yeah. Yeah, no, he loved it. And he's still really good friends with a lot of some of the people that he went to school with. They, I mean, absolutely, absolutely. He, like he's turning yeah. 40 now and they're like lifelong friends. Oh yeah, your college friends, I always say this, you're, I mean, you'll have a few high school friends that you'll keep in touch with all your life, you know, just a, but just a few um, small number, but your college friends, at least for me anyway, um, the college friends are the ones that um, I really will have for life. It's just such a, um, just such an interesting time in your life when you experience so many things and so many things are new and you're kind of figuring out um, who you are and what it's like living on your own. That I just think you bond with people um, during that time and the, those bonds, are, you know, nothing really can ever break them. But let's, so let's go back to, um, to college because that's when things really shook up. It was freshman year, correct? Absolutely. Absolutely. So um, I was a freshman, obviously, um, when you go in and it was, um, I made it to, it was the Sunday before um, Thanksgiving, the Thanksgiving break. Um, and I think I'd been home one time that semester since I, I, I left for college in the middle of August. I think um, just because tech was so far, I'd only been home one time and it was to celebrate um, my mom, both of my mom and my dad's birthday were in October. Um, and it was kind of big birthdays for both of them. It was my mom's 50th and my dad's 70th. They were 20 years apart. Um, and oh. yeah, and so my dad, um, they, obviously he was a lot older when, um, when I was born. My mom was 32 and my dad was 52. Um, which I think kind of had a, um, a really big impact on kind of the way that we kind of meshed as a family, um, just because he was so much older and kind of wiser and just kind of mellowed out. And um, I think that really did change the dynamic, um, maybe just because they had, they'd both been married before, um, but they, uh, neither one of them had had children in their previous marriages. Um, and so, uh, and I don't think that I was necessarily um, an accident per se, is just more of a, wow, I didn't know we could, that was still possible kind of thing. Um, so, um, but yeah, so they were a little bit older. So I'd gone home in the middle of the semester to celebrate. And actually we met, we had a, a family lake house at Possum Kingdom Lake, um, which is about halfway from uh, between Dallas and um, Lubbock. And so we had, uh, met there for their big birthday party and spent this great weekend. Um, and then I went back to school and on um, the Sunday before Thanksgiving, I got a call early, early in the morning um, in my dorm. And I was in my dorm and what's kind of crazy is I wasn't, um, actually I wasn't supposed to be there. My fraternity had a retreat that weekend, um, like a winter formal and it was um, at Paladero Canyon. So it was about an hour and a half away up near Amarillo. Um, and it wasn't supposed to be over until Sunday afternoon. Um, but my date and I decided that we wanted to go ahead and come on back on Saturday night. And um, just because I kind of felt like we know we're gonna get up and go tomorrow. Let's just go now and be in our beds. So we drove back in the middle of the night um, on Saturday night, which I'm glad that we did um, because um, first thing Saturday or Sunday morning, um, there was a phone call and this was back in the day. He still had answer machines and you could hear the little beep and hear the, the recorded message. Um, the, my phone rang in the dorm, which obviously um, it was early um, and I didn't answer. Um, but then the, the um, answer machine picked it up and it was my dad on, on the um, answer machine. Um, and he said, hey, Rich, um, I know you're not there right now, but as soon as you get um, home, we need you to go ahead and grab all your stuff for... Um, that you're going to take home for Thanksgiving because Uncle John um, passed away last night and we're on our way to Snyder and um, we just want you to meet us there. So can I give you an idea? Um, Snyder is about halfway between Abilene and Lubbock. So it's um, about 90 miles from Lubbock. So, but it's, it's a good distance from, um, from Dallas. So anyway, when I heard my dad um, 
talking on the phone. I was kind of groggy. I picked up the phone and was able to, to actually talk to him. And so um, Uncle John was actually, my mom was a twin and it was her twin brother. And um, he had had a heart attack the night before and then passed away um, of the heart attack. So they were on their way. Um, they were already on the road and they were headed towards um, Snyder. And so they just told me to get all my stuff together, bring in anything I was going to bring for Thanksgiving because I probably wasn't going to come back. Uh, there was really no, no sense in it. And so um, I packed up everything and I headed down to Snyder, which only took me about an hour, hour, 15 minutes. So I got there knowing that um, it would be a while before they get, you know, that I would beat them there. And so I just try to visit with the family and kind of console on um, the family. And, um, and it kind of, it was getting later and later. Um, and I'd heard that there was um, some uh, winter weather that had um, kind of hit, that had hit from kind of like Abilene to Dallas, but from Abilene to Lubbock um, was fine, completely fine. Um, but it was kind of coming, it was coming towards, um, uh, I guess the panhandle. And so anyway, um, I'll, I remember the phone ringing, um, which had been ringing, um, had been ringing all, all afternoon at my um, uncle's house, just because um, everyone was calling, you know, trying to get their condolences and stuff. But for some reason, I still remember this particular ring. I remember it ringing. And I remember um, my cousin um, it was his wife and he was the oldest of my uncle's, um, of my uncle's kids. His wife came in the living room and um, she just, she looked at me and then um, she went and got, his name was Randy, went and got Randy um, and, and got him and pulled him up and they went into the kitchen. And I didn't really think anything of it at the time. I mean, I, I still remember it. I thought, hmm, there's something kind of weird about it. Um, but then about five minutes later, um, Randy came in the living room where I was and said, hey, Richie, come here for a second. And so um, I kind of followed him into the kitchen and the way that their house was set up is their um, master bedroom was kind of connected to the kitchen. It was kind of strange. Um, but I followed them through the kitchen and we were going into my aunt and uncle's bedroom, which was weird because I think in my entire life I'd been in there maybe twice. It was just kind of an area when we were, you know, that we didn't really mm -hmm. go to. And so I, we went into the um, bedroom and right as you kind of went into the bedroom, there was a bathroom. We went into the bathroom and I walked to the bathroom and it was Randy and his wife and then um, a couple of my other cousins. I mean, there were five or six people um, in there and Randy just said, hey, there's, you've got a phone call. And so I said, okay. And it, it all happened so fast that I like nothing was really like computing. And I was like, oh, okay. And so I picked up the phone and said, hello. Um, and the voice on the other end said, hey, Richie, it's John. Um, and John was the youth minister at the church that I grew up. Um, and I was there literally my entire life. I was born and raised at this church and was there every time the doors were open. And so he was the um, youth minister. And, you know, he would, I just left the, the program, the youth program there when I went to college. And so, um, you know, not thinking anything, I just said, um, hey, John, how, what's going on? Um, and it, nothing was really computing it at that point until he said, um, Richie, I've got something I need to tell you. And it was like, instantly I knew what was happening. And I just said, are they okay? And he said, no, they're not. And I said, both, I was screaming both of them. I mean, I kept going both of them. And he said, yeah, both of them. Um, Richie, I'm sorry, they, they were killed in a car accident. Um, and so we just, I hate to be the one to tell you this and I wanted to tell you in person, but the weather had gotten so bad by that point that they were gonna, their original um, thing was to fly into Lubbock and they were gonna fly into Lubbock and then drive down so they could tell me in person. But what had happened, what they, um, they did since I couldn't get there um, is they called um, my aunt and uncle's house, asked for the, whoever was in charge. And so that's why Randy's wife um, got him. So they, um, they told Randy actually before me and said, hey, this is who we are, this is what's happened. Um, we just need to make sure that you grab his keys and that you watch him. There's no other way, we, we've got to tell him. Um, there's too much that needs to be done, but we just need to know that somebody is there to like, and we're gonna to try to get there. And so um, instantly when he told me and I and it, like computed, um, I actually fainted, um, collapsed, dropped the phone, hung up on him. Um, and I remember waking back up and um, they had the phone in my my ear again. And um, it was John again. And he said, okay, Richie, I really need you to listen to me because there are some things that you absolutely have to do. And I'm going to walk you through them, but we don't have a whole lot of time. Um, basically, there's a number that you need to call. And this is a, a deputy and wherever, which the wreck happened in um, right outside of Abilene in Baird. And he said, they're waiting on your call. They know that we're we're speaking right now, as soon as we hang up this phone, you've got to call them because you have to, um, they have to speak to you. Um, and um, he said, and I don't know what they're going to talk about. They wouldn't tell me, but as soon as you get off the phone with that, I want you to call me right back. And so um, I, it, it was just immediately like that. There was all this stuff that had to be done. And so I was like, okay, and he's like, I need you to be a man right now. I'll never forget that. I need you to be a man right now. And I know that you're shocked. And I know that everything that's going through your head, but we've got to get this stuff done because we cannot move further until, so they're going to help you. Your cousin, Randy's there. He's going to help you. So I'm going to hang up with you and you're going to dial this number. Randy's got the number. Um, you're going to talk to this guy and as soon as you're done, then you call me back. And so um, basically I had to, when I talked to the guy, um, I mean, and this was all of, within like three minutes of me finding out. Um, and so it was late. It had gotten kind of late that night. And um, it, it was a, I guess he was a sheriff's deputy. It was something about that they needed to, um, 
they knew that um, that they weren't from Dallas or they weren't from um, Baird, and so that they were probably going to move the bodies. But there's all kinds of laws about when like bodies are like once bodies are embalmed, whether they can move across like county lines and all this weird mm -hmm. stuff. So mm -hmm. I basically had to say and give the um, give the approval that um, you know yes we are going to um, they're no we're not going to we're not going to keep them in the county. They're going to move them to Dallas. And so I wasn't on the phone with them really long. Um, and so I got back on the phone with John and we talked for a while and I don't really remember much at that point, except for the fact hanging up. And then I had the task of, of telling my whole fam my family, because other than the people that were in that little and all my friends at tech. Um, and that was probably the worst part. I'm um, obviously the family that was there on my mom's side knew, um, but I was the one that had to tell my grandmother um, and she had literally just lost um, her son the night before. And now her daughter and her son-in-law within you know less than 24 hours. And so I had to tell her and it was horrific. It was the, one of the worst things worst experiences ever. Um, and she just, I mean, she, she lost it and she just couldn't comprehend. Um, even to the point where, um, every few minutes she would come back in and say, well, have we heard, have you, have we heard, um, heard any news? Have we heard the doctors called or are they going to be okay? And so, and I'd have to say, well, no grandma, you know, they're not okay. They, you know, they died. And so then when I would tell her, it was like, she was hearing for the first time over and over, you know, mm -hmm. again. And so, I mean, it was just, it was, it was gut-wrenching. Um, finally I got to the point where I was like, I can't tell y'all someone's gonna have to deal with this because I can't. Um, so then I had to call the rest of my family, my um, dad's side, which is a huge part, um, huge family. And um, they're the ones that I spent 90% of the holidays with and that I considered um, because they, they lived in the Dallas area. And they were definitely who I was closest to. Um, and then it got to a point where, I, and of course, the first thing that I wanted to do was leave, just like um, John knew I was going to want to. It's like, I have to get to Dallas. I have to get to Dallas. And everyone was like, nope. And so um, everybody tried to get to me, but actually the weather had gotten so bad that they weren't able to get to me until the next day. And it was like four or five o'clock the next day until my aunt, my aunt and uncle were able to get to me. But in the meantime, I had the greatest group of friends at Tech. I think I made one or two phone calls. My roommate, my best friend up there, and I'm not kidding you. There, So from the weather was coming in, but from Lubbock to Snyder, everything was fine. But from Snyder onward, it was is where it got bad. And so um, knowing that my family hadn't gotten there yet, there was a about 80 kids, 80 college kids and my friends in my fraternity and people that I know in the dorm that all like caravan down um, from Lubbock down to um, to Snyder. And they all showed up at my aunt and uncle's house, which is a small, tiny little house. There was no way that we they could all fit in there. So I, I remember we ended up going to a truck stop. And this truck stop had like one of those diner restaurants, but it was closed. Mm -hmm. um, but we they told the um, the person that was working there and kind of what, it, what was going on. I said, we just need a place to, to sit. And so we literally, and they just sat with me all night. Um, and I just kind of, from that point, I never really cried other than like when I fainted and I got up and um, I really never cried really at all. Um, it was like, I was in such shock and just kind of went into robot mode. Um, and so of course we got back to Dallas, finally got back to Dallas, had to make um, the funeral arrangements, which is horrific. Um, it's not fun in any way, um, shape or form. And it's, uh, you know, there's a lot of things that, you know, just, just a word of advice, if you can ever, I know it sounds morbid, but if you can ever plan your funerals now, um, you, your family that is still here will, it will make it so much easier and it'll be a lot cheaper, but um, just that, you know, I'm an 18 year old kid that is in such shock and I'm having to pick out caskets and I'm having to pick out flowers and I'm having to pick out plots and all this just random stuff that is just, it was just, you know, it's a lot to take in all at one time. And I'll never forget um, one of the other, um, the, so John, the youth minister that told me, um, there was another guy, um, his name was Rick Briscoe, and he was the choir director, um, the youth choir director. And so I'd gotten, I was really close to both of them. And actually both of them walked with me and sat with me through the whole process of planning the funeral. Um, and we had to do it really, really quick because um, by the time I got to Dallas, it was late, 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 Monday night. Tuesday, we had to stay, uh, spend all day at the funeral home um, and plan everything. And then Tuesday night was the visitation because the funeral had to be Wednesday because Thanksgiving was Thursday. And people were going out of town and all this. So it was like a real quick kind of turn of events and everything was happening so fast. But um, I remember we were planning, we were at the funeral home planning everything and we go to pick out the caskets. And um, Rick, we kind of pulled me, kind of grabbed my hand and pulled me back and said, hey, I just want to let you know that this is going to be the absolute worst part. And he said, there's nothing that I can say that's, that's going to make this any better. He goes, but I've done this a lot with a lot of people being a minister. And I'm telling you, this is the worst part and it sucks. And that's all I just want to warn you. Um, that it's coming. You can't, it's unavoidable. But um, I tell you what we need to do is when we get when we get there, get down there, we're just going to be stay focused. And you're going to go in, you can do a loop and you can just as you're doing just some automatically that you like that kind of peek your inches and we just kind of point. So the goal is to get you in and out of there. You don't want to be in there any longer. They're going to try and talk you into all this stuff. And all you got to do is just, you know, make a lap. You know, your gut's going to tell you which ones you like, just pick them and, and move on. And so, um, and I've never forgotten that just because 
during that time, and especially afterwards, you know, people um, people like to tell you, um, you know, that um, I'm sure that you know they're down, they're up in heaven, looking down at you, and you know, they're it's like people, everyone's like a yes man and trying to like sugarcoat it just because they don't know how to, they don't know what to say, and it's not yeah. their fault. Um, but you know, some you just need somebody um, just to say this sucks, and I know it sucks, and it's going to suck real bad um, in this specific moment. Um, it's going to be really tough, and it's probably going to be one of the hardest things you've ever had to do. But I'm here with you, and you're going to get through it. And to me, that is so much more beneficial um, than someone just, you know, the sugarcoating, the all that kind of stuff. And um, you know, God will give you the strength and all that kind of good stuff. Because in a time like that, you don't want to hear that. You know, I, 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 if one more person told me that, um, you know, my parents must be so proud of me looking down at me in heaven, I just wanted to punch them, um, just because it's like, okay, that's great. And yes, I know this in my heart, but right now, I, there's so many emotions that you don't want to feel that. Um, so. Anyway, so we got through the funeral um, and got, you know, the first two, three weeks are great because you're surrounded by people, but it's about the, the day one of uh, week three is when everyone kind of starts to go back to their normal lives and everything starts to, and then all of a sudden you're left with not your normal life. Like your life, is, you know, my life was, um, it was just shattered. And, um, and as a matter of fact, the day that we, um, so we had a, we had a family dog um, and the, I knew that the dog was going to travel with us and we didn't go anywhere without the dog. And so the whole First couple of days before the funeral and everything, um, I kept we we knew that they couldn't find the dog dog, but we thought that it just gotten loose like on the side of the road during the accident or whatever. Um, and so um, it was really weird. After the funeral, as soon as we got back from um, from the from the cemetery, um, I went straight into my room and I changed clothes, and got dressed, and grabbed the keys to my car and was like headed out the door. Um, and of course, everyone's watching me like a hawk and said, "Where are you going?" And I said, "Well, I've got to go get our dog's name was Scooter, but we called her Tudor." I've got to go find Tudor. She's on the side of the road. It's been a couple of days now. She's probably hungry. I just got to go find her. And she, she's probably not going to come to anybody else. She's probably scared. But if I just go where the accident was, I'm sure that I, I can find her. Um, and everyone was like, no, 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 no. You know, they've got people looking for her. They've got people looking for her. And I said, no, that's my dog. I, you know, I've got to go find her. Um, and so then that's when my aunt kind of pulled me aside. And she said, Richie, um, actually wanted to let you know that they, they found, um, they, they found mm -hmm. Tudor. Um, they found her in the car. Um, and she, she, she's dead also. Um, and it was really weird. I couldn't comprehend my mom and dad being gone, but I could, my mind was able, I was able to wrap my mind around the dog. And so the one and only time that I lost it in pride was when that, when I found out that, you know, that my dog had died also. And so literally, um, you know, my little family, it was like, everybody was gone in an instant. It was just in an instant, um, you know, everything was gone. So um, that's kind of like, that is all crazy. But in that same instant, because of um, my inheritance, I became, um, a multimillionaire. Um, and the reason it wasn't that my parents were, you know, that well off, what actually kind of happened is kind of a weird, um, weird thing. But apparently with um, life insurance policies, if your death is accidental. A lot of the life insurance policy will pay double. And so that's what happened with um, my mom and dad. And since it was accidental for both of them, when they were both paid off. Um, it just compounded, you know, the amount of money that, um, you know, that I was able to get. So I ended up at 18 years old, um, with about little, little under three and a half million um, when it was all said and done. And so, and I was 18 years old, which was the great thing, which meant that nobody could really legally tell me what to do with it. Um, my parents will, of course they had a will, but their will was kind of basically kind of generic because they named each other as the, benef the benefactor. And then I was the second one. So it was kind of weird the way it all happened because they both kind of canceled everything out. Um, and so there was a lot of, that we had to do some stuff in court and stuff to get that figured out. But Basically, um, I let my uncle, um, there was a, one aunt and uncle in particular, that was my dad's brother, um, and he was my dad's best friend, um, and his wife, my aunt, was my mom's best friend, so we spent a lot of time together with them, um, and he became the um, executor of the state, which basically all that meant was that on checks and stuff that were signed, there were two signatures, so there was a certain, and I don't remember what it was, but there was a certain um, limit to where if I needed to pull more than that out, either one of us wanted to pull more than that, we had to have the other signature, um, but what ended up happening is that um, I, when I would go back from, um, so I, instead of going home, um, well, let me put this back. I knew, I knew immediately that, um, that I did, I was going to have to sell the house. I knew that there was no way that I could ever, um, go back. And so actually a lot of people, um, well, I was criticized because I made the decision too quick, but I knew instantly there was no way that I could ever, ever, um, continue to live in that house. There were just too many memories. There was too many. So actually, um, I went back to tech. So that was a Sunday before Thanksgiving is when the accident happened. And I stayed home all the way through. The Christmas holiday. And then when school started the next semester, I'm um, in January, I went back and there were literally on the day that I was headed back, there were two moving trucks that pulled up. I um, mean, one of them was stuff that I was going to take with me to Lubbock and the other was stuff that was going to come from the house um, and was going to go into storage. And so the day that I left to go back to school a month, 
maybe a little two months um, after their accident um, so when the house went up um, on the market. And so it was very, very quick. Um, and it was, uh, I knew in my heart that that's what I wanted to do. But, um, you know, I, I get, I, I got back to school um, and now all of a sudden um, I have all this money and um, my uncle, yeah, he's controlling. Um, he's got some kind of control over me, um, but it's, I could, I could take that control away from him at any point um, if I wanted to. Um, and really what ended up happening is that anytime I was there, um, they, um, at the lake house to see them, I would just end up signing a bunch of checks because he paid all the bills. Um, he did all the yucky stuff. And I was just, I would just was constantly calling him saying, Hey, I need more money. Can you transfer this money? Um, you know, at one point I had seven cars. Um, and I was while living, you're in college, seven cars while you're in college. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so, um, but, um, I did, which is shockingly, I, I look at back now and, and it was really a God thing is I don't know how I finished school. Um, to be honest with you, because there was really at that point in my mindset, an 18 year old's mind, I'm set. And so there's no reason to, to finish school. But, you know, really, the only reason I think that I did is because I didn't know what else to do, because that's where all my friends, that's what they were doing. Um, and my parents had worked their entire lives um, to be able to, to send me to school. And it was super important to them to be able to provide, um, you know, a college education for me. And so I think it was more kind of to honor them. But I look back and, um, you know, it's, it's crazy. Um, crazy that I just, um, that I was able to even finish. And so now there was a new, like, um, my day, like day-to-day -day life, it was, it was a weird, like polar opposite. So I had this grief of my parents, which I really didn't grieve. And for the, to be honest with you, I can't believe I'm saying this, but for the longest time, you know, like in college, when you meet people, um, it, uh, the first few questions are, where are you from? Um, and then what do your parents do? And so anytime something would come up with my parents, I would, if I would tell them what had happened, which most people, um, I was known around the campus as the guy, um, but if it was rare that somebody didn't know, but if they didn't know and I would tell them, they would feel horrible. And I could just see the look of horror on their face because they brought it up and I hated that. I hated those confrontations. And so I um, <laughs> I got to the point where I would just lie and just tell them that my parents said, my dad worked for an oil company and they were in um, the Middle East on, a, on an assignment for a couple of years. And, and I don't know if like, I don't know if that was me trying to like process it still, or if it was just to, I say it was to avoid those, those kind of confrontations. But um, I really think that it was, um, you know, it was, mean just not I, I just couldn't process it I never dealt with any of the grief and I never cried and anytime anything would kind of come up um I was really good at just pushing it back down and what the first way initially that I dealt with my group my grief is I would buy something you know if I felt sad or whatever I know that anything that would um it was it was so unusual or such a um a difference of emotions when I would feel happy during that time during those years um that I you notice the things that make you happy and so um you know if I whatever was going on, or I just, it just did. It just made me happy to buy stuff. And I, it was really good to be my friend. Um, you know, I'm not gonna lie, the, the only bummer was because of that age group, there was nobody else my age that had that kind of money. Um, and so I either did things by myself or I paid for people to come along. And so so I have this, this weird thing where I'm trying to deal with the grief, but at the same time, now I've got all these friends and I'm trying to figure out, you know, all these people know that it's good to be my friend. And so I've got a lot of people coming at me that are just trying to, um, uh, just trying to get, get stuff, basically, you know, take advantage of me. And so I never really knew, I'd always wonder, do you really like me for me? Or is it the, the money that you like? I mean, I would, I would take friends on vacations with, um, with me and it was a lot of fun. And if there was something that I, you know, that I wanted, I, I bought, um, but I was able to pay for um, my college education, uh, which is great. No, I didn't have any kind of loans or anything like that. And then I was also able to spend um, some time in London doing an internship that I would never gotten the chance to do. So it was like this really weird thing because um, I got to I got to experience a lot of things because of their death, um, but at the same time, you know, uh, they died. So you know, I was still trying to figure this out and try to, you know. And then I went through a, a really um, strange period where I would there would be days where I would miss my mom more than I miss my dad, um, and then I feel guilty. And then there were days when you know I miss my I'm dad more than my mom, um, or there'd be days I didn't miss them at all, or you know. And then I was having really bad nightmares, and I, um, you know, I just. It, it, I was able to see a lot of the blessings. It took many years to see some of the blessings um, that came through. Um, you know, it would have been totally different if one of them had survived and one of them um, had died. I guarantee you, I know what would have happened. I would have dropped out of school and I would have moved back home and it felt like I had to take care of the one that was still here, which would have totally changed the trajectory of my life. Um, so the fact that they, you know, they both died together, um, you know, they were best friends and it was, um, you know, that was kind of a blessing because they would have, the other one would have been heartbroken without them. And I wouldn't have, I wouldn't have had a chance to, you know, I would put everything in my life on hold until probably until the, the other one died, you know. Um, so there, I mean, there's still some blessings in all of it. And, you know, there were a lot of great things that I got to do. Um, but what's funny is, I mean, I was going through money left and right. I'm not, I'm not gonna, not gonna lie about that. Um, but fast forward. So I, I graduated college um, and I graduated in 2000. And then um, 
2001, as we all remember, September 11th happened. Um, but what a lot of people don't remember is that when September 11th happened, that actual day, the stock market went into like free fall, um, so much so that they had to, they halted trading uh, because everything was just, you know, people were, didn't know what the heck was going on. And so um, everything that, all the money that I had had been invested in mutual funds and I had a financial planner that I trusted completely, great, great guy. Um, but what happened on September, so we get to about six years, which was about six years after they died. Um, I had gone through about half of the money um, in about six years, which isn't horrible. I mean, it's not probably I'm great. actually impressed by that. We, yeah. we have, um, so we had some rental properties in San Antonio and we had someone who managed them for us. And he uh-huh. had a brother-in-law who won the lottery and won $10 million one year. Within two years, it was all gone. Crazy. It only took two years. But that's when, because when you, a lot of times when you get that, and I know we're going to get into this in a little while, when you don't earn it, it's different. You handle right. it differently. And if right. you don't know how to manage a little to begin with, you'll never know how to manage a lot. And especially, I mean, if you don't have a lot and then all of your family comes and they all start asking for stuff, you want to be the, we naturally want to provide for others, which makes right. sense. There's nothing wrong with that. But right. again, if you don't know how to manage money, you're just like, yeah, let's buy it. Exactly. Um, so completely. So I'm very impressed that it did last as long as it yeah, did. Yeah. And when I look back, I think just because, I mean, I was blowing through money left and right. Um, but thankfully, you know, it, I think it, the, really the only reason there was enough, there was so much left is because there was enough of it to begin with that it was earning interest off of itself, which was really the only, um, you know, and like all the cars and stuff that, I, yeah, the only, all the cars and stuff that um, I had, they were all coming out of the trust fund. So it, it was, it was smarter for me to not, even though I could have bought them outright, it was smarter for me to lease them um, just and let the money work you know, work for and make earn money um, in the in the markets and stuff. And so that's what I did. So they were all leased. And so then every month the payments would just come out of the, um, you know, out of the, the trust fund. But um, so September 11th happened. Um, and on that day, the stock market completely crashed. And so of what I had left, I lost about 80% of it in that one day on September 11th, along with everybody else in the world. I mean, the, the market just crashed. And so, of course, everyone's kind of freaking out in the, you know, in the days afterwards, you know, I, I get a call from my um, financial planner guy and said, okay, listen, don't panic. Um, nothing like this has ever happened before. Um, so the entire market went down together. It's not like one stock went down and others survived. Everything went down. So it'll come back. It, may, it looks like a loss now, but you're, it's going to come back and it'll all grow and it, you know, it'll come back up to where, um, you know, to where it was. It may take a little bit of time. It's just a little bit of a setback. It's not like you lost it. You're just not going to, you know, you're just going to have to, um, it's like you're making up for loss, you know, you lost some ground kind of thing. And so I was like, okay, um, you know, but at that point I still had enough to, to live and I was out of school then and I was I'm working. And so um, I wasn't going through the money quite as fast. Um, but he did tell me in that same conversation, he said, but here's the thing. There is a stock that um, uh, that we've been, uh, a company that we've been watching and it's been doing really, really well. And if we play our cards right, and I'll never forget the way he said this, if we play our cards right, um, and this turns out the way I, I'm, everybody, all the analysts and stuff are, are saying that it's going to, um, you can, I can take you from being rich to wealthy. Like you'll never, money will never be, um, but we have to do some kind of unheard things and things that we would normally not do. But again, this is a, um, this, this time frame, this period in history is just so crazy that, you know, desperate measures call for, in desperate times call for des- desperate measure type thing. And so um, basically he said, what we want to do is I'm going to, what, what he proposed was I want to take about 80% of, so I, it's kind of weird. I lost, of what I had left from the initial inheritance, I lost about 80% in September 11th. So what I had left after September 11th, he proposed that we take about 80% of that and we were gonna, he was gonna invest it in this one stock, this one company that had been doing really, really well. And I said, great, do it. He said, I'm investing my, this is exactly what I'm doing for myself. So I'm not giving you any kind of, um, any kind of advice or anything that I'm not doing for myself. And so I said, I, I completely trusted that he really was a great guy. And so I said, do it. And I knew nothing about how any of this works. So it was like, he was speaking another language to me. I was like, yeah, just do it, whatever, you're the boss kind of thing. And so um, fast forward about, a month, maybe a month and a half, and people don't really re- real remember. It's I don't even remember, but it, it's true um, how close um, these two events were to each other. But I get a phone call from him again. He was like, "Hey," um, he's like, "Are you sitting down?" And I was like, "No." Um, and he said, "Have you have you seen what's going on in the news?" And I was like, "No." You know, I'm mean, like just right outside of college. I mean, there's no way I was watching the news. I had was clueless. Um, and he said, "Well, um, so you might want to turn the news on." Um, and I just want to tell you that I'm so sorry. Um, this was nothing, you know, I couldn't, my wildest dreams, I could never imagine this. And I was like, what are you talking about? You're so sorry for what? And, um, he just said, it's gone, Richie. And I said, what do you mean it's gone? What's gone? What are you talking about? He said the money. And I was like, what, what money? He said the money that your money, it's gone. You have none. Um, and I said, what are you talking it about? It was invested where? It, because it was invested in Enron. So, um, 
crazy uh, chain of events. So literally I went from having it or not having it growing up to just being all of a sudden in an instant having it all. And then really in an instant again, once the, the, the news broke um, of not having it all. And I literally, um, at that point, he advised me to file bankruptcy. And the only reason why is because I didn't really own any debt. It's just, I had a few credit cards and stuff, but the main reason were because of all the lease cars that I had. Um, apparently the only way to lease um, contracts are very, very tight. And the only way you can really get out of them is to either die or file bankruptcy. And so um, he just, he just, that's what he recommended. Um, and so um, really that's, that's what I did. Um, and I can remember, I've been really mad at this, this point I'd gotten, at first I was mad um, and I wasn't mad. I'll say this. I wasn't mad that the money was gone. Um, I was mad that I didn't to spend it. That makes sense. If I knew it was going to be gone, then I would have taken like 20, 30 of my friends on a backpacking trip across Europe and we would have had like the most, you know, life-changing, you know, time and, um, or I would have given it to somebody. I was just mad that it was taken without uh, me having any kind of say-so. Um, and, and to be honest with you, um, it was kind of a sigh of relief when it was gone because it was a lot, there are a lot of, um, um, there are a lot of problems that come along with it. Um, and I know that sounds like cliche and stuff, but I, you know, I was asked, I was like the, whatever the world's charity, um, anything that happened or anytime anybody needed something or anything, um, the first person they would turn to was me. And I, I just didn't know how to, um, you know, it was to the point where I was like, come on, like, you know, um, but at the same time, it was like, how do you say no to this stuff? You know, and my family, um, to be, to be honest, at times were some of the worst, um, you know, and so I, I just, um, I, I was forced into making some decisions and being this person that I shouldn't have never had to have been at 18 years old. And I would feel guilty about it. And it was just, it just really, it was just a lot of hassle. And then, you know, compound that with, um, you know, the people not knowing whether people really like the real me or if it's just because of the money that I had or the reputation that I had. Um, it, there, it, was just, it, took a, it really did take a big toll on me mentally um, to the point where, I mean, I, I think I remember telling you this, is, and I'm still this way, um, is that I never, you know, the reason that I, I was kind of glad that it was gone is I never earned this money. I didn't ask for it. So I didn't work for it. It wasn't my blood, my, you know, my blood, sweat, and tears. Um, it was given to me in a set of circumstances that were horrific. Um, and it almost to me, I, I kind of viewed it, it got to the point where I kind of viewed it as like a cheap consolation plot prize for my life being ruined. You know, oh, your life is ruined, all your dreams shattered, all that good stuff, but here's some money, um, take care and have a good life. And so I, I almost got to the point where I kind of resented it. Um, and then also, um, no matter what I bought, as much as it's fulfilled or as happy as it made me, it was fleeting. It was only a matter of time before that those feelings came back in and then whatever I just bought was like old now. And it was, it, you know, the things that I thought were going to, oh, this is going to really make me happy. This is what's going to really, if I could just get to this or if I could just have this car, if I could just have this TV or whatever it is, then I'll, then I'll be set. You know, I'll have everything that I want. Um, and that's true for a day, a week, maybe a month if you're lucky. Um, but then, you know, all of those um, real life sets back in. And, and that's the thing, um, you know, the biggest lesson that I've learned kind of this with money is that, you know, I didn't earn that money. And so it meant nothing to me. And so when it was gone, it was gone, you know, and, and, and truth be told, you know, I was kind of relieved that it was gone. Um, and there's, you know, um, I just think that I see friends now um, that are so driven by money and by the material things and, and they're great. Don't get me wrong. Material things are great and money is great. I'm not, I'm, you know, I'm, I'll be the first, you need it. But it can't be, um, you know, when it becomes almost like your God, or it becomes, if, if you raise it above, it's it's the only thing that matters, you know, and, and we have a, a I've, I've heard some of my friends do it. And, and luckily, I'll, I'll just say this, not that I'm any better than anybody else, but because I had it all, and I've lost it, it doesn't impress me anymore. Because I, you know, I mean, it's great. Don't get, me, don't get me wrong. I mean, it's great. But I'm not like, it's just not as glitzy and glamorous as it was, because I, I've experienced it. And I, I know what, um, you know, how hollow I still felt. On the inside, yeah, I was doing all this cool stuff, but you know, you still have to go to sleep. You know, when you're in bed at night and you're still with your thoughts, I'm still, you know, I was still devastated and I was still heartbroken and I was still grieving. And um, you know, I was trying to figure out what I'm going to do with my life. That you know, that my my entire world was gone. And so, um, you know, on the outside, it looked like that I had it all together and I had lived this cool life. But you know, what really on the inside, I, I was empty um, and miserable. You know, and so. When you first told this, told me this story, you, you said something that to this day, I've never forgotten. You made the comment that you could have given it all back just to have your parents back. You would in a heartbeat. And this is really, I mean, the main reason that I wanted to have you on as my first guest, because I I love talking about money. And there's a few questions we're going to get into that dives into like understanding money, growing wealth. I love that stuff. And I love getting to like, understand like 
how things affect us psychologically and in ways that we don't even understand. So we're going to get into that in a few minutes. But the, the thing that I, I loved about your story, and again, why I wanted this to be kind of the, um, the foundation of the podcast is that um, I, I'm hoping that entrepreneurs listen to this, people who want more, who want success. And again, like you said, there's nothing wrong with wanting money. Money is a tool, nothing more, nothing less. That is it. Right. And so when we stop looking at money as a tool and we look at it, like you said, our God or something that has value over everything else, we miss it um, because you could have a ton of money. But if you don't have your family, like if you're not rooted in strong in a strong foundation, that money is nothing, nothing exactly. at all. And a lot of times in, in when you're growing as a leader in business a lot of times the main thing you're going to hear is your why, right? And if you say, oh, because I want a bunch of money, your coach, your teacher, whatever is going to be like, I'm going to call BS. I've heard that a number of times to yep. people. Um, yep. then I've heard literally last week I was in a leadership training and a guy was asking, okay, what is your why? And don't say it's for the money because we know that's not it. Like what is the fundamental why? And it always goes back to my fa- like our family, right? Mm-hmm. Um, There's a sto- the story that I heard last week, like for her, it was about like her husband and her children. For me, and if you go up to my why, it's like my mom worked so, so hard and she worked multiple jobs. She was from Mexico. Like she did without, she had a really tough childhood. And for me, I have to make my why is like, I have to work really, really hard to make her sacrifice worth it because there's a lot she did so that I could have opportunity. Um, and so like me wanting to have, you know, cash flow or um, financial wealth for my family. It's not, man, because I, I just want to be a millionaire or I just want money. It's because I want to work hard so that I can make my mom proud for what she did. Right. And so that's, I, I don't want us to lose sight of that. So if you're listening today and, and, you know, you want really, really, you have such big aspirations, that's amazing. Go for it. Uh, I hope that the more people gain financial literacy, that they are able to be financially free and have legacy for their family. But that's what it's for, legacy for family, legacy for communities, and not just to attain a whole bunch of money so you can do fun things. Because that's that's a very hollow life, as you said. Absolutely. Earlier that your dad was really good about teaching you the the concept of of having a good work ethic, right? Mm -hmm. Were you ever taught anything about finances? Um. N- not really. Um, I mean, I, I was taught how to like balance a checkbook and, um, mm-hmm. and I was taught things like, for instance, when I um, turned 16, the deal was that I could get one in, any car that I wanted to within reason, as long as it had to be used. Um, they refused to buy a 16 year old, a new car, and I had to pay for the insurance. Um, so whatever car I wanted, I, it had to be used, but I had to pay for the insurance and it had, they were adamant about it being full coverage. And so, um, I can remember, um, this talk we had with my mom, um, and I was working at the time, but unfortunately um, for full coverage for a 16 year old in Dallas, Texas was like ridiculous. And to be, on- to be honest with you, it was my insurance was more than I made. So it was kind of like impossible for me to go to school and like with the job that I had. And for um, a boy, cause it's different for girls right, and boys. Exactly. And so what they did is they just thought, um, they settled on 250 a month, which it was far more than that. Um, but that was going to be, that was, they felt that that was kind of a, a good share of my, um, and I'll never forget when we first started this and I turned 16, my mom sit down with me and she goes, okay, I need you to listen. And I need you to listen carefully because it's the only time we're going to have this talk. It's the only time I'm going to say this. She said, your insurance is due on the first. It's late on the third. And so if you turn it on the third or later, go ahead and just add an extra $25 late fee. Uh, you don't even need to ask for me because it's going to be there. So you might as well just go ahead and add it. And I just want you to know that I may or may not remind you of the impending, like when it's due. And if I do remind you, great. And if it helps you, great. But if I forget and I don't remind you, it is still due on the first and it is still late on the third. And so I remember thinking, well, okay, yeah. And so I had my, you know, my own little checking account and I was making money and putting my paychecks in there. And so I remember the first time that it was, you know, my first month that I was supposed to pay and I got it on the, and on the first and nobody had to say anything. So I was all proud of myself. And I don't know what I was thinking in my head, like writing the checkout, but I remember the day that I checked my balance and I realized they had cashed the check, like actually cashed it. And I was like devastated. I was like, oh my gosh, like they actually like, I don't know. In my head, I just thought, yeah, yeah, we're just going to kind of write, but like the money was actually gone out of my account. And I, was th- I remember thinking, what? And like, who are these people? Like, what is going on? And so um, pretty much from the, the point I turned 16 till I graduated, anything, anytime they, they were really fair, anytime that I wanted to do something, whether it be a summer camp or whether it be a, a weekend getaway or a ski trip or a new pair of jeans or whatever it was, anything that I would go to them normally would ask for money and be like, hey, can you buy this for me? Um, the rule was, is they would always say, you pay for half and we'll pay for the other half. So even though that, you know, prior to 16, they, they, you know, I wasn't really working. They were just buying all of it for me and let me do that. But 
um, you know, they kind of instilled that, you know, not only do you, you're going to make the money, but you're going to have to spend it too, like uh, on your, so how bad do you want to do it? And so, I mean, there were, I can remember there being things that would come up and I'd be like, mm, I don't really want to, that's going to cost me like, so, I, I mean, I was really starting to like kind of understand that. And I was like, no, I, I think I'm going to sit this one out because I want to do this one. So as far as like that, but it, like, you know, those lessons were taught. And what's really kind of cool about my parents is the, um, the day that we left from, from college, um, the day that they left, we, we got there and they were headed back to Dallas and they were dropping me off. And this was our final goodbye. We said goodbyes and it was gut wrenching and, you know, we cried and all that kind of stuff. And they were walking back to their car and this was it. This was the moment they were going to drive off. Um, and my dad um, was in the car and then he, he started to back up and he stopped and put the car in park and got out of the car and was like, oh, hold on. I forgot something. Um, and I was like, yeah, what'd you forget? And he was like, come here. And so um, I you know, walked over to him and he had it in shirt pocket. He pulled out, um, it was a debit card, an ATM like card. And um, he said, I forgot to give you this. And I said, well, what, what, what is that? He goes, well, it looks like it's a debit card to me, an ATM card. And I said, well, yeah, but it's not, we just got, we just set up my account like two days ago and that, not that bank. Um, and he said, well, um, actually this is um, an account that we set up years ago. And um, anytime mm -hmm. that we deposited any of your checks that you gave us or your money that you gave us, it went into this account. Um, and we were just trying to teach you a lesson. So now this is for you. Spend however you want to. We're never going to ask you about it. You can spend it all in one spot. You can do whatever you want to. You can whatever you want. It's your money. Uh, but we just want you to have a really good start. And so um, those were the kind of, you know, just really neat things like that, that, you know, and it did, I'll never forget it. Um, you know, and then he looked at me and he goes, um, right before he left that time, um, he said, um, now your mom and I have, have worked our entire lives to send you to college. And we will, we are committed that we will do whatever it takes. We will pay for everything it takes for you to get a college degree one time. And I was like, what? And he was like, so if you know, you know, the, the days of you um, telling us your grades are over, we don't care. You get a C, great. You get a D, great. Well, we don't care. If you fail something, we don't care because we're not paying for it the second time. So we're going to pay for math first time. We're going to pay for English the first time. But um, anything, anything else that it takes after that is on you. So, um, and I remember that. And it really actually made a difference because I wasn't so scared about some of the bad grades that I got. Um, but there were definitely some classes that I had to take over again. And every time I'd be like, well, here, here I am paying for this. So I'm um, just like lessons like that about money. But as far as investing, to answer your question, no, I knew nothing about the stock market. I knew nothing about retirement or any of that kind of stuff. I mean, I was just, um, you know, I knew it was good for me to be able to keep my, not go negative in my checking account at that point, you know, I'm just a college kid. So. Which, and most people aren't right. I, I didn't really even learn about investing or cash or anything, honestly, until my husband and I were dating and I was in my late twenties, he introduced me to rich dad, poor dad, and that changed everything. And even the first time I read it, um, I've probably read it three or four times now. And now I understand it way more than the first time. Cause there right. were concepts in there that I'm like, I don't, I don't understand what he's saying. It sounds really basic, but I don't get it. Right. Um, so yeah, but I mean, it's stuff that obviously has to be taught, but unfortunately it's just, like most people were just not like our parents and my parents, there was a lot that they didn't know that they learned later in life and they're still learning. Um, right. So it's just, it's always interesting to, to get to hear what we, what people do and don't learn. Well, and I, I feel like our parents' generation were a lot better at living underneath their means, like living under their means. Absolutely. Whereas, whereas our generation lives like right up to like, the, our, you know, like we're, you know, you can have great jobs. I know a lot of friends, even myself, you know, but I'm still living paycheck to paycheck um, because and no matter how much more money I made, my expenses just went up. So I never was able to like, um, you know, and I, really the concept, I just, that wasn't really taught, but it seems like that uh, that generation was really good at like, they understood that. And I don't know where the disconnect happened. And maybe it's just the, you know, they say about millennials and the entitlement, but we, we never, that was never really drilled into me as far as like, that you need to live just because you have, it doesn't mean you should spend it kind of thing. Um, well, and I, and I think things are changing um, since right. uh, just with some of the groups that we hang out with now um, after my husband got me into that, like we are seeing more and more people that are just um, leveraging opportunities so that they can, you know, get cash flow and have financial freedom. And um, I think it's, it's kind of a mix of those people wanting to have ownership and get cash flow, but also don't want to have bosses. So right. it's interesting because my husband and I fit in that, right? Um, I, I'm someone who I don't really want to boss ever again. I, I kind of want that freedom um, and somewhat of a stability, but um, also want to be able to invest so that I can get, you know, cash flow. Um, but so I, my other question to you is, did you ever talk to your financial planner ever again? Um, afterwards, you know, he was not really, I mean, he lost, you know, his, his shirt in the deal too. Um, he was, a, everybody always said, well, I would have sued him or what. And I really, and when I ever tell my story, it was not, he really had a, the best heart. And I mean, yeah. it was, it was a scam. So everybody was scammed, you know, that's why it, it looked so good because it was a lie. And so, but everyone thought it was true. So, you, you know, it was nothing malicious or anything like that, but no, I, you know, I really didn't. Um, and I, you know, just kind of, um, to be honest with you, I know I keep going back to it, but I was just so relieved to me, you know, it was almost, 
like the blessing that I was, and I know that sounds so hard, it's hard to comprehend that, but it was just such a chore and it was such, it was so much to keep up with. And it was so, um, it was just such a burden that was on me because I felt like that I was, um, you know, that I was um, responsible for everybody else's happiness and their, you know, um, you know, and, and the people were really good at guilt tripping, um, you know, sure. um, and, and, and one thing I'll say too, is that I can't tell you how many times people would come up to me after they realized that everything was gone and would be like, man, if your parents, they would just, I mean, they would just roll over in their grave if they knew that you lost all that money. And I used to get so offended by that. You know, people just don't really know what, what they say. And yeah. I'd say, no, I'm pretty sure they'd be just fine because I'm pretty sure all that money was for was to help me like lay a foundation. I mean, that's really what it's for. Yeah. It's to, and it's to get me through it. And there, there were some days where if buying that TV is what kept me alive and, and how I was able to take my next breath because I was in so much pain. I, you know, it hurt to breathe at times, you know. Um, and if that was the only thing that got me through, then my parents, I guarantee you, you must not have known them really well. Cause my, my mom and dad would have been by the TV, by two of them, you know, and they, they worked their entire life for me to go through school. And I finished and I used that money for my college education. So it did exactly what it was supposed to do. Yeah. Um, and it wasn't necessarily my fault. Granted, I would have run out of it. Absolutely. Um, but six years, I mean, that's pretty good. You know, I was well into my twenties and I was just like anybody else starting out. It just kind of leveled me. It kind of put me back on the same plane as everybody else that I was walking through life with, um, which was, which was good because I always felt you know, I was always that guy that walked into the room because everybody knew what had happened with my parents, but I was also that guy with the money and then that guy that, you know, lost it. And so it was just kind of, I just wanted to be a normal, you know, I'm just a normal person. So did you ever wonder what it would have been like had you had a sibling? Yes. Um, so I, I, I have thought about that. Um, and I don't know, I can't even, I can't really comprehend what it's like to have a sibling to begin with, mm-hmm. um, but I can't. I was in such a like, I mean, my mind was in so many different places and I was such a mess that I can't even imagine having to throw somebody else's mess in with that and have to come to agreement on stuff like that was, there was so much in my life that I felt was out of control, but the money, and I will say this, the money, I felt like I could control that part. You know, that was something that I could do. And if, if, you know, I called the shots on that, whereas I had to go and, you know, and it's kind of sad. Anytime my aunt and uncle or anybody would say something, think that my my spending had kind of gotten out out of control for a bit. You know, my aunt and uncle or somebody would say something to me, but what I would do, I learned really quickly, the best way to shut them up was to buy them something. And so I manipulated them. Um, I knew what I was doing. And so I just didn't want to even have the conversation. So whenever I'd ask for a, a large amount of money because I wanted to make a big purchase or do something that was a little bit more extravagant, I would always preface it with, look, what I, I would already have something to, to shove their way and be like, but I got you this, you know, and it, yeah. and, and I got my way um, kind of thing. And my aunt and uncle, they were great. And they, there was actually, you know, no, um, you know, they, they weren't taking advantage of me by any, by any means or anything like that. We just, they're people too, you know, and, and um, it just as hard as it was for me to have those detailed no and difficult conversations from their perspective. I mean, how would they tell me no? You know, they can't really. Oh, you, absolutely. You know the what psych- I'm saying? So, I mean, psychological things that would go through their mind. Yep. Exactly. So, um, but yeah, no, I, I think, I think about that a lot, but I think it would be completely different. Um, it's the same way, kind of the same way that I think um, that if, um, one of my parents had died and not the other one, you know, one of how different, um, you know, my life would have been. So a few, a few years ago, we had something in our family that kind of shook us up and we all kind of had to step away. So I'm, I'm one of multiple siblings. And so we all had to take a step back and we had someone who was a really, really great mentor to, um, my siblings and me. And she told us, understand that the next few months that you're going to go through, you need to remember to show grace to each other because you were all going to be in different emotional states. And you will all get to forgiveness at different periods. And it was so true. And I think hearing that, because I mean, as you said earlier, like your, your youth pastor had to tell you some really hard truths. Um, and so you don't want someone to be like, hey, it's okay. Like she told us, she had to tell us some hard truths, right? Like not just about the situation you directly are in, but right. your family members and understand that you have to show grace because you guys are all going to be angry at different levels of anger and your anger is going to end at different times. And that, that helped us a lot. And even now it, it helped us understand each other more. And I think for right. us, I mean, we kind of grew a little bit closer um, just because we were able to um, realize that we all have very different personalities and the way we process things are different, right? right. No, Absolutely. no two people are the same. So it's, it's interesting. Um, that was, that was a question I, I had thought about for a while for you was, yeah. um, if that had ever crossed your mind. I mean, I would, I, at this point, I would, I would love to, you know, as far as the money part goes, that part would have been difficult, but, you know, I would love to have the, that person in my life that, that, that support and that person that, you know, that knew, um, you know, knew what life was like, um, you know, growing up and kind of shared the same experiences and it had that person that I knew was, um, was forever, you know, that was, uh, we were forever attached. 
Um, Cause that's been the hardest part for me and, and going through the grief process. I was feeling that I was alone. Um, and so I, I went through this phase for a long time that I was, um, I wasn't necessarily upset that, you know, because of my faith and I, you know, and my parents were um, very faithful in the church and were very godly people. And so there, it wasn't a matter of like, I, I didn't worry about where they were. And, and, you know, I just knew um, without a shadow of a doubt that they were, you know, in heaven, it was more of, you just, God, you just left me. Like you just took my whole family. Like why, why couldn't we have all gone together? You know, why couldn't we have like, why couldn't I have been in the car too? We could have all the hook family. Here we go. We're, we go from earth to heaven. Um, but I just, I felt this just sense of abandonment, like even my dog, like you just, you just left me like what, now what am I supposed to do kind of thing. And so that was really hard for me to, so I was very, very angry at God for a very, very long time. Um, you know, and people would say, you need, yeah, you know, you need to draw, you know, draw near to your father. And I used to tell, I tell God in my prayers and stuff, I had a father that I was very happy with and I was doing fine with, but you know, I mean, just very blatant. Um, I mean, just an anger kind of thing. So as I go through, I went through the process, I've learned a whole lot about grief. It's been 26 years ago. So, you know, there's all these weird milestones that happen. Um, You know, the milestone where now I've been alive longer without them than I have with, than I was with them. Um, And all these kind of like phases in life that I go through. And and grief, let me tell you, is a process. Um, And one thing that I've I've learned is that you have to go through it. Um, And I forced, I I did it for a good 15 years. I just pushed it all down. I didn't cry, Um, but there is no way around it. It's just something that, um, that the body, you're mentally subconscious level, you have to, it, it, it exists for a reason. Um, and it's something that you don't ever get over. You know, you never get over grief. Um, it, it just becomes kind of a part of you, just like my arm is a part of me. It's just something that I kind of, it's just a part of me I, I, and I live with it. Um, but the, the biggest thing that I'll say on this in case there's anybody kind of struggling with this, that as time goes on, one thing that I learned that it changed my entire perspective is, you know, your grief is, is measurable by the amount of um, the intensity of the love or the amount of the more the, the amount that you love somebody for instance like if i um if there was a crossing guard that i loved you know and i found out they passed away i would grieve for that crossing guard but it, the grief wouldn't be as like gut-wrenching because i didn't the love was different yeah so um the fact that my grief you know somebody that is you know really grieving and your grief is intense and it's um it, it almost feels like it's going to take you out you know it's going to be what kills you um when you get to a certain point i was able to get to a certain point and i was able to make the connection that the reason i'm grieving so much and the grief is so hard is because the love was so great and so I, without the love being so great, I wouldn't, it wouldn't be, there would be nothing to grieve. And so then I was able to take it into where I actually became thankful for my grief because it was a reminder of the love that I had mm-hmm. and how great it was and how unusual it was and how there's people their entire lives that would, that would like give anything for that kind of a love. And I got to experience it for 18 years. And so it's weird as you age and you start to, you have to come to grips with it and, you know, you kind of have to, it is what it is. And it, at some point, I don't know when it was, but I still remember having the conversation. I just woke up one day and I just wasn't mad at God anymore. And I, and I, you know, in my prayers and stuff, I told him, I don't, I probably know this is weird, but not that I, you, it's weird, but I forgive you. You know, I, and I needed to hear myself say that to him. I mean, I don't know what changed. It was literally like, I just woke up one day and I said, okay, I'm not mad anymore. I forgive you. Um, you know, it, it kind of is what it is, but, um, you know, as you kind of go through it, I, I, my grief is part of who I am now. I mean, it's, it's just, it's become a, a part of who I am. And so it's not something that I, um, that I try to hide. It's not something that I, that I fear anymore. It's not something I'm ashamed of. It's just, it's just who I am. And it's a part of, it's part of my story and a part of, you know, my life. And so now that I can look back on those days, like Father's Day, it was just, um, you know, we just had Father's Day was this past weekend. And, and some, some years it's fine. This, um, this year, I, it, it kind of hit me kind of hard. And I don't know what, what the difference is, what, um, but I was able at the end of the day, just think, well, how, how lucky am I that I'm really 26 years, I'm still grieving. I mean, what an incredible relationship, you know? And so um, when you're able to kind of put a spin on it and see it from a different perspective, um, it really changes things. And it really kind of changes um, your outlook on life and the way that you approach things and the way that, um, because it's really easy when you have something like that to become entitled um, and think that the world owes me this. Um, and that is a very, very, um, very dangerous um, kind of road to go down thinking that you're entitled because, you know, obviously you know, the world doesn't owe you anything um, and nor do they care about you. And that's really a hard pill to swallow too. So true. <laughs> Um, when you realize for a lot of people to accept exactly um but yeah so those are some of the big lessons that i've learned but again it's been 26 years so that did not happen overnight um by any means um it was a very very slow process um but i laugh now i still i mean i have joy in my life i have um my life is good you know if i were to i just sit down and write my life story or tell somebody about my life it would be on a it would be a good life i've had a good life you know i've had some horrible things happen um but i've had a good life you know and, and life does go on um and you just have to trust that you just have to, you just have to trust that you'll get there, you know, and, and just like you said, with your, with your um, family, 
if everybody gets there in different ways, it looks different to different people. And you just got to let people, whatever, whatever, however it manifests itself, as long as it's not dangerous mm-hmm. to them or somebody else, you just have to let them be where they're at. Um, and, and they'll get there when they get there, you know, it's a process. And, and be grateful for the growth. Cause I think that was probably one of, I mean, it's nowhere obviously near as difficult as, you know, the stuff that you went through, but it was difficult for us in that time. It was a pain that we had never experienced before all in our own ways. And we were all in different cities. Um, and I just remember just, I, it was a season where we all just cried a lot <laughs> and, and all of our spouses were just, they, all of the men in our family were so great because they were just rocks for all of us. Um, but I think there was just a growth that all of us had individually and as a family, um, cause right. we're, we're all really, really close. And so the fact that we were able to grow as one and then to grow all by ourselves in different ways was a beautiful thing. Cause now that we're on the other side of it, um, and there's still some stuff that hasn't, that we're not fully on the other side, but it, again, it's a process, right. And right. we are still like, we're so much stronger than we were years ago. Right. Um, and so it's a beautiful thing to see, but I want, I want to touch on your, I mean, your story has taught me a lot. And again, it's obviously left a very lasting impression on me. Um, even as we have our daughter, um, last year, we went through the process of not just setting up a will, but setting up a trust. And as we were right. meeting with our attorney, you know, he's asking all these questions and it's like, well, and we have to do the whole, all of the beneficiaries. Right. And so all right. of the executors and um, executives. And so who's, who's going to manage it? Like if, if we leave when our little girl's still young, like who's going to manage Like how old is she going to be when she gets it? And, you know, my husband and I were going back and forth with like, do we want it 18? Do we want it 24? And, and we tried to go on the older side. Cause, and I mentioned it, I mentioned your story to our attorney and I'm like, listen, he had it all at 18 and that's a lot for someone right. that, you know, to do it. And so like, I don't even want to give her that opportunity to do it. Right. My family will cover it. Like my family will have access to all of our assets so that they can, you know, manage it for her. Um, but it just in does impact people and has the ability to, to really impact people in an amazing way. I know that we, we are, um, really close on time, but, um, is there any, any last words of encouragement that you want to leave with? Um, sure. You know, I just think that it's really important, um, you know, in life to surround yourself with people that are going to challenge you as far as, you know, like you don't want yes men around you. Um, you need some people in your life um, that are going to tell you no, that are, you know, they're going to call you on, on your stuff and say, you're being crazy. This is stupid. This doesn't make sense. Somebody that, you know, that, that you know, has got your best interest at heart and will see and so much so that they're afraid to tell you, you know, that they're, that, that they'll say no, you know, and that they'll say, this does not make sense. And they'll jump in. Um, I think it's real important um, um, for that. And then, and the second thing is, is, you know, when we're talking about money and stuff. I think when you really, for me, um, the, when I'm the happiest is when I'm giving. So I would, I'm the type of person I would much rather give a gift than get a gift just because I put so much time and effort into it. And I've tried to find the perfect thing. And I'm so excited when I've got a gift for somebody that I can barely stand it. Like, you know, for them to wait, I'm the one that wants to give it to them like right away. I mean, I find so much joy in that. And it, you know, it takes the, the focus off of yourself. I mean, really what money should be and the kind of way that I look at money now is that the money that I'm making and the legacy I'm having, we should really be making money to give it away. Um, because, and, and, if, and if you can do that, it'll change the world, you know, and, and not invest in, it's, imp- of course, you, there are things you have to do to live. And I'm not saying that, but, you know, I want to be a person that invests in people and mm-hmm. not stuff, you know, invest in somebody's life and, and pour into somebody's life because they'll, and, you know, they'll do the same um, and then they'll do the same. And then that's how, you know, that's how the world has changed. It's not through your money because there's always going to be somebody else that's got the money. If you don't have it, somebody else is going to step up to the plate. Somebody else is going to whatever. I mean, don't get me wrong. Those things are good and they're needed. Um, but really, and, and it, sometimes it's just in your own household, you know, the job that you're doing, if, if you're, you know, working, you're, you know, and trying to earn so you can take care of your family, but are you doing it at the cost where you're, you're missing out on your family? Yeah, you know, very much so. And, and a lot of times that happens, you want to have all of this for your family, but you're never right. there for games. You're never there for school events. And so it right. almost, it's, and most, it, it's it almost. sounds funny to like, say that you want to, you're earning money to give it all away, but it's really what you're doing when you say that your family is your why. You know, it's because your daughter, you want it to have, because what do you, it's not for you that you're, you're not like, well, I, I want all this money so I can have a, you know, the new cards for your daughter and for, you know, for her life. And so she can, you know, in turn, um, you, you know, pour into her children's life. And so you really, it's, it's to give away, um, you know, and so I think that don't be afraid to give, you know, and just like that you, um, one thing that I've kind of started doing is that I have a, you know, you, you budget for certain things and you have, you know, you've got your, your house fund, you've got your vacation fund, you've got your car fund. Well, then there, there should be a fund that you have 
that it's your, I'm going to give this away. I'm just, I'm, this money is earmarked and I'm just going to give it away. And I'm going to, however the, the Lord leads me to, or there's an organization I want to partner with, but this money. And then when you're at work and you're wondering what your why is, you're thinking, okay, these are for the little kids. These are for the puppies. I, I'm, I'm going through this day. I'm staying late because of the puppies. The puppies are going to, you know, whatever it is. And it makes, it makes what you're doing a little bit more um, digestible sometimes when it gets tough. Um, but I think that you, just like we have, we, we save, um, just, just there should be intent when you're giving. Um, and and you can, it can be in a number of different ways, but um, I think that that's one thing that I think that your life will really begin to change and you'll really be able to, um, you know, live where money is not a money, your, your money, like you said earlier, money is a tool for you. Um, and money is just something that you use, just like you would use a toothbrush. Um, it, it serves a purpose. Um, and, and, you know, you allow it to fulfill that purpose, nothing more, nothing less. Yeah. Um, so, Absolutely. yeah. Yeah. Well, thank you again, Richie. I so appreciate your time. Um, where can people find you if they want to follow you on social media? Well, um, I'd say the easiest place is probably Instagram, but you cannot judge me now. I'm telling you, I'm not the world's best poster. So I'm on Instagram all the time and on social media, but I just don't feel like that um, my stuff is that important or that it's just boring. So, but my Instagram, it's um, rags, R-A-G-S, the number two, Richie, R-I-C-H-I-E. So rags to Richie. Um, it's kind of my handle. And, um, so yeah, I, if you want to connect, I'd love to, to talk to you, but just, you gotta, I'm just warning you now, you're not going to be impressed by my content because it's, it's very much, very much yeah. lacking, but I, I promise I do respond. I just don't post all that kind of stuff. So. Got it. And we'll put, we'll put links in the bio too, just yeah. in case. Um, there you go. But again, Richie, thank you so much for your time and for sharing your story with us. Um, I look forward to catching up in person I not know. on Zoom soon. Absolutely. Well, congratulations on the new adventure. Um, I just, I hope that this, um, you know, a year from now, you can look back and just be amazed at how far this has gone. And um, we look back at this and we'll laugh and um, just, and we remember when, when, when it all started, but I'm honored that I was your first guest and um, I wish you the best of luck. Thank you so much. You have a great day. All right. You too. Bye-bye.